It's time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our theme music is Fruit of the Louvre, provided by Flick composer-producer Howard Eddy. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. The Tom Sumner Program. Hi, I'm U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow, and I'm listening to the Tom Sumner Show. I've got 90,000 pounds in my pajamas. I've got 40,000 French francs in my fridge. I've got lots of lovely lira now. The Deutsche Mark's getting dearer, and my dollar bills would buy the Brooklyn Bridge. There is nothing quite as wonderful as money. There is nothing quite as beautiful as cash. Some people say it's folly, but I'd rather have the lolly. With money you can make a splash. There is nothing quite as wonderful as money. Money, money, money. There's nothing like a newly minted pound. Money, 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 money. Everyone must hanker for the bunchness of a banker. It's a countency that makes the world go round, round, round. You can keep your Marxist ways, but it's only just a phrase. For it's money, money, money makes the world go Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm Tom Sumner, and uh, it is, in fact, May 4th, or as uh, some people think of it, Star Wars Day. So may the 4th be with you. And uh, it is Wednesday, which means uh, armchair politics coming up in about an hour for two two hours of uh, commentary and analysis on uh, headlines from the worlds of politics and current events but it's the first Wednesday of the month so we kick off this uh, May 4th edition of the Tom Sumner program with uh, talking about economics with economist Chris Douglas from the University of Michigan Flint who joins me by phone. Good morning Chris and may the 4th be with you. Uh Uh-oh. I'm not hearing Chris. He might have to disconnect and call back because for some reason maybe he can hear me but I can't hear him. Well, that was Chris disconnecting. He'll call me back. And, And there he is. That was quick. Chris, are you back with me? Yeah, I'm back with you. I don't know what happened there. Somehow we got disconnected. You know, that happens to me every once in a while, uh, you know, where um, 
you know, everything is working like it's supposed to. And for some reason, maybe you can hear me, but I can't hear you. And uh, that was that was the case. In any event, uh, um, as, as I said, uh, good morning, welcome to the show, and may the 4th be with you. Hey, always great to be here, Tava. May the 4th be, fourth be with you as well. <laughs> um, what is, you know, I... I I was looking through the Wall Street Journal, and there there are a couple of things uh, in the headlines that I, I want to talk about and get into. But what what, in your opinion, Chris, are the are the big economic headlines this last uh, two or three weeks? Oh man, it's hard to know where to begin. So inflation is probably the biggest headline. It's funny, um, Gallup. The polling organization does a poll where every month they ask a random sample of Americans, what do you think the worst problem is in the country or the most, I think they call it the most pressing problem. And inflation is right at the top of the list um, because it impacts everyone. Rich and poor, it impacts the poor the worst. Because if you're a lower income American who's living paycheck to paycheck, you know, working an hourly job, you don't have a lot of room in your budget to see your grocery bill go up by, say, 10% like it did last month, or to see car prices go up. Yeah, and officials in the White House are, are going back and forth on, on whether or not to ease China tariffs as a way of slowing inflation. How, how would that even work? Well, I suppose they could unilaterally remove the tariffs because tariffs are controlled by the White House. But that will have a pretty minimal impact on the rate of inflation. Um, maybe it brings down consumer prices a little bit, but it's kind of like leaning into the inflation wind. You know, when prices are rising by nearly 10% year to year, you're removing a tariff that's a few percentage points isn't going to make a huge amount of difference. And it's not going to do anything to impact what are really screwed up supply chains thanks to the really strict Shanghai lockdown that's been going on for the better part of two months at this point. So I think it would be mostly symbolic, if anything, uh, because inflation is being driven by, well, first you have the supply chain issues, but the real driver is just the massive amount of government spending that's occurred over the last two years, coupled with the fact that the Federal Reserve has doubled the money supply. And changing tariffs being charged to Chinese firms aren't going to change those two things. Now, did I see that the SEC is is beginning to look at or or think about some restrictions with regard to Bitcoin? Um, it's yeah, it's hard to know um, what the government is looking at with regards to Bitcoin or cryptocurrency in general. <clears throat> the one thing that people who you know, quote unquote, invested cryptocurrency you have to be aware of is that you know, any gains you get from selling cryptocurrency are subject to taxes, capital gains taxes. You have to report that on your on your tax form, which hopefully all your listeners have already filed their taxes for this year since the deadline's about a month a month in the past. So you have to pay taxes on whatever gains you get from trading Bitcoin. Uh, but in terms of regulation, it, it's hard to know what's coming down the pike. I know there's a bill in the House of Representatives right now that would give some oversight to cryptocurrency. Um, it's hard to know what kind of legs you know something like that has 
because on the one hand, maybe the lack of oversight is a real benefit to people who invest in cryptocurrency because they think it's you know money outside the purview of the government. But I think that's largely a myth that all the Bitcoin transactions are tracked on the blockchain, which is a public ledger. So a sufficiently motivated um, police force, um, law enforcement agency could track you know, Bitcoin transactions. So it's not the case that Bitcoin transactions are anonymous. You know, if you buy something illegal using Bitcoin, you know, the state could track you down because again, all those transactions are, are public. I think the main reason why people invest in cryptocurrencies is because they think the price is going to continue to rise. You know, Bitcoin 10 years ago was about 10 cents per Bitcoin. You know, now it's closer to $40,000 per Bitcoin. So it's kind of like the classic bubble mentality that will buy cryptocurrency as a way to get rich quick. You know, kind of like buying tulip bulbs in 17th century Netherlands. <laughs> um, so what what else uh, has been on your radar this last couple of weeks? Yeah, so, yeah, so inflation is the top thing on the radar. It's at the top of the Gallup poll. And it's funny for a research project I'm working on, I would have looked up you know, that Gallup poll for December 2019, and inflation wasn't even on the radar. It didn't even register enough responses to show up on the poll. So that just shows uh, when inflation happens. I mean, it's just at the top of every, everyone's mind because there's just no way to avoid it. You know, everyone has to buy groceries. Everyone has to buy gasoline. Everyone has to pay utilities. So when those prices rise, you're just stuck. And if your wages aren't rising at the same rate that prices are rising by, which is the case right now, um, living standards fall. I think this is really the first time in recent memory where we're, sustain, we're seeing a sustained reduction in the standard of living where there's really no reversal on the horizon. Because even if you go back to, you know, the Great Recession dozen years ago, you could say, well, eventually this recession is going to end. The economy will recover. It turned out the recovery was much slower than what we would have liked. But the hard times for the recession did have a light at the end of the, at the, end of the tunnel. And it's really hard to see what the light of the end of the tunnel for inflation is because lots of times that light is an oncoming train because if you go back to the early 1980s, the last time inflation was a problem, you know, the way that inflation was brought down was by Paul Volcker and the Federal Reserve raising interest rates and inducing a severe recession. So we hope that's not how inflation is brought down this time like it was back then. Because I'm not really sure how the economy could sustain a massive recession or reduce the rate of inflation just a, a couple of years removed from COVID. That's, re that's really at the top of my mind, inflation, and how does the Federal Reserve bring down the rate of inflation without causing a massive recession. Uh, <clears throat> besides that, um, there's other recession worries. Um, because if you look at the most common cause of a recession post-World War II, it's a spike in energy prices, in particular oil and gasoline prices. Um, certainly, we have the oil shocks of the 1970s as an example. Even the recession of the early 1990s that brought down the first President Bush when Bill Clinton beat him on the slogan, it's the economy, stupid. Well, that was because oil prices doubled um, as a consequence of the Persian Gulf War. You know, the 2001 recession that people largely forget about, that was preceded by a two-year run-up in oil and gasoline prices. Even 2007, oil prices hit $150 a barrel before that recession. So if you're looking for a common cause of recessions, it's a spike in oil prices. So with oil hitting $130 a barrel, um, 
as a consequence of the Russian-Ukrainian war. Seeing gasoline hit 4.30 a gallon in the Flint area um, this week. You know, that's a sign that a recession might be coming down the road because the economy has traditionally had a tough time absorbing um, higher oil and gasoline prices. So it's the combination of inflation plus this oil shock that makes me kind of worried about, well, what's the you know future going to look like? You know, we're going to see a recession as a combination of those two things. And again, it's hard to almost remember what COVID was like two years ago because so much has happened since then. But, you know, the COVID recession that was occurring two years ago was the worst recession since the Great Depression. So can the economy survive another severe recession just two, year, two years removed from that? I think that's a real concern. Well, the Wall Street Journal is, is reporting that... Um worker pay and benefits has grown at a record pace this first quarter and and that that's keeping pressure on inflation a little bit yeah that's kind of what we see happen when there's inflation consumer prices rise first and then you start to see input prices um, the cost that businesses have to pay to produce goods and services rise and we see that with the producer price index, which is like the consumer price index, but for producer costs, you know, that's right. That has risen at a record clip throughout 2022, where you're seeing double digit increases in the producer price index. So the businesses have to produce more, pay more for raw materials to produce output. And the workers, um, they see consumer prices rising and they're like, well, we need to see our wages rise in order to, pays these higher consumer prices, so workers start demanding higher wages. So in order to attract workers, businesses have to offer higher wages. The higher wages get passed on to even higher consumer prices. So you get what's called a wage price spiral, where consumer prices rise, then wages rise, the consumer prices rise, then wages rise. And that's what we saw in the 1970s. In the 1970s, that wage price spiral, spiral was broken by the Federal Reserve and that severe recession. So you hope that's not how it's broken you know, this time around. I think it's a real problem that inflation hasn't been a problem for the last 40 years because that caused policymakers to get complacent, complacent about inflation. And they kind of forget about how severe the costs were to bring down the rate of inflation back then. Well, hey, um, Chris, I've got to take a, uh, a break here. Can you stick around for a few minutes so we can talk some more? Oh, absolutely. All right. My guest is uh, Chris Douglas, an economist from the University of Michigan, Flint. And uh, coming up in, uh, oh, about 45 minutes or so, we'll get into armchair politics. Also later this hour, one of the things that happened this uh, past weekend that was kind of a big deal for me is that uh, the president of the United States was at the uh, White House press corps dinner for the first time in six years. And uh, that's always been kind of a favorite event of mine. And I, I, I thought the president, uh, I thought Biden did fairly well. He's not as commanding a speaker as uh, some of his predecessors, um, specifically uh, Barack Obama. But we're going to hear what the president had to say a little later this hour. We'll take a short break. We'll be right back. Hello out there, everybody. It's me, Tigger. T-I-double-G-R. That spells Tigger. And don't forget to remember to listen to Tom Sumner program on account of because he's so bouncy. <laughs> 
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines, since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places, so be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe Vi from the Blue Hawaiian. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Annan. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions and you know the material and you, and you care about it and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County. Where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make. Throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond. Where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air. Where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums. Where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. Babies come with lots of decisions. Cloth or disposable? Crib or bassinet? So when it comes to protection, go with the safest, most effective choice, vaccination. Get all the recommended vaccines for your baby by age two to protect your child against 14 serious childhood diseases. For more reasons to vaccinate, talk to your child's doctor. Go to cdc.gov vaccines or call 800-CDC-INFO. A message from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention.
This is Congressman Dan Kildee, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. We continue our uh, conversation on the first Wednesday of the month with uh, economist Chris Douglas from the University of Michigan, Flint, who joins me by phone. Chris, welcome back. Thanks for sticking around. It's always great to be here, Tom. Um, Now, we were talking uh, a lot in the last segment about inflation. When when inflation looms, does it really just sort of dominate economic news, or are there other things that people should be watching and paying attention to? Well, I think it dominates the economic news just because, like we're talking about in the previous segment, there's no way to avoid inflation once it's here. Um, if you think about like a bad recession like a dozen years ago, when inflation wasn't the problem, but unemployment was the problem, uh, if you kept your job, well, you could say the the recession didn't affect you as much as maybe other people who've lost their jobs. But with inflation, it just hits everyone because everyone pays prices for groceries, gasoline, clothing, housing, automobiles. So there's inflation that affects 100% of the population. So that's why when inflation is here, it just you know rockets right to the top of the news right to the top of the opinion polls. It dominates the, the discussion. Um, I would predict that if inflation is still here, hopefully it's not, but if it's still here in 2024, you'll dominate the presidential election, you know, just like it did in 1980, um, you know, the last time inflation was a problem. But there's certainly lots of things that people should be paying attention to. Like we're talking about the previous segment, there's always a risk of a recession, especially when oil prices increase like what's happened in 2022 as a consequence of the Russian-Ukrainian war. And that probably doesn't get the attention that it really deserves. Um, I'm not really sure why that's the case, um, other than perhaps because of things like fracking over the last 10 years. Oil and gasoline has been relatively cheap. Um, you know, gasoline from about 2013 and beyond always averaged less than three $3 per gallon. So maybe that just kind of caused people to forget about, you know, what role oil and gasoline prices play in the economy. Um, but like we're talking about the previous segment, uh, most common cause of a recession, oil and gasoline prices. So I think that's a real concern, you know, that the economy might dip into a recession if oil and gasoline prices remain high. And then you've got stagflation, where inflation is high, the economy's in a recession, and then the Federal Reserve faces a dilemma. Do they let interest rates rise to bring down the rate of inflation that makes the recession worse <clears throat> or do they start the money supply again to try to stimulate the economy in a recession but that would make an already high rate of inflation that much higher so i think that's my real concern that um, there's a risk of recession because of things unrelated to fed policy and inflation you know that might really tie the federal reserve's hands in fighting inflation throughout the rest of the year. And then another thing I think people should be concerned about are food prices. Um, you know, I think people tend to forget about the Russian economy because, you know, Russian GDP is pretty low. <clears throat> I think the Russian economy is about the size of Texas, so it's easy to ignore. Uh, but the Russian economy produces a lot of things that are vital to the world economy. Raw materials, um, for instance, like we know, Russia is a huge um, producer of oil. But fertilizer... Um, Russia produces a lot of fertilizer, like phosphate fertilizer. And that's something a lot of people ignore because other than buying a bag of scots for your lawn, 
you know, fertilizer is not something people purchase directly. We purchase it indirectly through buying food. But fertilizer prices are up something like 200% this year. Um, farmers are having a tough time finding fertilizer because thanks to the Russian-Ukrainian war, um, Russian fertilizer exports are way down. So it's likely that we're going to see food price inflation accelerate as a consequence of the fertilizer shortage. And I'm worried about a global food shortage. Um, probably in the United States, there won't be bread lines um, because we produce a lot of our own food. Food will be available, will just be a lot more expensive. But I think there's a concern that the developing world that relies on food imports, you know, there are going to be shortages and famines. I hope that's not the case, but uh, it's disconcerting that a huge source of, of raw material required for agriculture is seeing production of that raw material fall as a consequence of the war. So I think that's something that should be on people's radar that, you know, things might get tough. If the if the fall harvest is way down, you know there were two stories that that got my attention. I mentioned one um, earlier, I think in the last segment about um, worker pay and benefits growing at a record pace. But there's also um, there are also independents uh, or. Uh, indications from the Labor Department um, reporting uh, that job openings and total quits are reaching records. Are those two things related? Um, yeah, I saw that too. So, uh, yeah, both were record highs with the most recent data point we have, which would be for the month of April. Uh, but when we're talking about job openings, there's about 11 and a half million job openings in the economy right now. That is technically a record, but really for the last year or so, job op openings in the economy have been hovering at around 11 million jobs or so. So there's, there's this big clump of unfilled jobs in the economy. They kind of increases or decreases slightly month to month, but really over the last year, there's 11 million jobs in the economy that worker or employers can't find workers to fill. And it's not really clear why um, workers or, or employers are having a tough time finding workers because you would think things are largely back to normal um, with the vaccine being available. Um, a lot of the COVID stimulus um, has probably been burned through by people who have received it. So it's kind of a mystery of why people aren't going back to work like we would have, like we would have thought they would um, in 2022. And we're still seeing a lot of people quit their jobs, right? Um, something like four and a half percent of the workforce quit their jobs last month. So the question mark is, why are people quitting their jobs? And then how are people paying their bills if they're quitting their jobs and not going back to work? Like, this record number of job openings suggests that they're not. Um, and I don't have a good answer for that. I could just speculate. There seem to be a lot of people speculating that um, that because of the pandemic and the amount of time that people, that a large number of people spent out of work, that um, a lot of American workers are rethinking their their job choices and job satisfaction. Some are 
you know, becoming entrepreneurs. Some are looking for different kinds of work in the gig economy. Um, has there been kind of a a revolution in terms of what people think of uh, with regard to what they're willing to do and for how much? Yeah, I've read those reports too, and I think the answer is yes. But then the question is, well, a lot of people don't like their jobs. I think even before the pandemic, if you surveyed workers, it was something like seventy to eighty percent of workers felt unfulfilled at work. So, well, and that was your job. That, that was the primary topic at happy hours all over the country for the last right, fifty exactly. years. <laughs> right. Yeah, not liking your job. That's not a new phenomenon, but you know, you work anyway because you have bills to pay. So it's one thing to rethink work. Um, I get that for sure. Um, you'll give us give of that pool. But you can rethink your work, but you can't really rethink your bills, right? You still have a mortgage, car payment, groceries, necessities. So that's what I've never really been clear to clear about is sure during the pandemic you realize that well maybe working this working at a cubicle farm in some faceless office park isn't how I want to spend the rest of my life. So I quit that job, well okay, but how do you pay your bills? Well did um, did um did COVID relief checks create a false sense of security? That's a possibility uh, because the way the checks works is that, or worked is that everyone in a household got one, you know, husband, wife, kids. Plus there are other benefits too, um, like the enhanced child tax credit. So, you know, maybe you got, as a combination of all those benefits with the three rounds of checks, you know, forty to $50,000. So maybe... A family is able to build up a nest egg. You know, one of the um, household members was able to quit his or her job. But at some point, you know, that nest egg will be burned through. And then, like we're talking about, uh, what do you do then? Maybe it's one of those things where I really hate my job. You know, working behind a keyboard in a cubicle is not what I want to do. I've got this nest egg built up from three rounds of checks. I'll quit my job, and then when... when that nest egg is depleted, then maybe I'll figure something out. You know, maybe that's part of what's going on. Again, it's hard to know because as far as they could tell, um, no one is collecting data on, you know, why workers are quitting and then how they plan on earning income to pay their bills. Is it possible, Chris, that at least in the case of of an awful lot of women, um, a lot of mothers, that were paying for child care and working and commuting to work and between gas and low wages and high cost of of, uh, daycare that they found that it was a break-even proposition and when they got a chance to spend a little time at home they thought why am I going to go back to work for basically a break-even proposition and then those checks came along which put a few dollars in the bank. Yeah I think that's probably part of the story. Um, Child care was always expensive before COVID and it's only gotten more expensive after COVID <clears throat> just because the child care industry has been particularly hard hit with worker shortages. There's something like 90,000 fewer workers in child care now compared to before COVID. That just causes child care prices to rise at an already high level. And it causes daycares to 
you know, kind of at a moment's notice have to close because they don't have workers available. So, yeah, it, it's likely the case that, you know, there's a mother who's working, the father's working as well. The mother is like, well, given that, you know, daycare prices have maybe doubled. And then at the drop of a hat, the daycare might be like, well, we're closing at noon because we don't have workers for the afternoon shift. So you got to come and get your kid. You know, maybe the mother's like, well, it's a, it was a break-even proposition at best um, with daycare prices to work. And then with the uncertainty about whether daycare will even be available, it's just better to stay at home and, you know, try to make adjustments to the monthly budget so that we can get by on one paycheck rather than two. And another thing we could talk about is that you see a record number of younger workers living at home, you know, workers who are in their 20s. And I think you could explain that by just how expensive it is to find a house or find a department, because suppose you're a 25-year-old worker, um, you're looking for a place to rent, um, in a major city, you know, rent might be, you know, $2,500, $3,000 or more per month, which might be um, more than half your take-home pay. So you start, you know, running the numbers, rent, groceries, gas to get to and from work, and you're like, well, you know, working is a break-even proposition. Well, I could break even you know, living with my parents and not having to work a unfulfilling job. So what's, what's the point of working if it's just impossible to get ahead because I've been priced out of the market for a new house or an apartment or a new car? So I think some of that might be going on as well. Yeah, sorry, I got uh, distracted there by a phone call. It was J.D. Weingarten calling in, wanted to... Uh, offer his services to talk a little bit about Roe v. Wade. Um, oh, okay. Which I probably will do, you know, during the next hour. But uh, in, in the meantime, um, with, these, um, with these changes in the, uh, in the workforce, I, I wonder, has, have there been the same kinds of changes in... Um, in purchasing are people buying less stuff i mean of course we've got to have groceries we've got to have gas we've got to have those things but are people a, a little less likely to just do i don't know um retail uh mental health yeah well there's inflation certainly uh purchases will be will fall if people's wages are keeping up for inflation. So I think you've seen over the last couple of months, consumer spending come in below expectations. And you're kind of seeing that with the stock market correction. I guess we're not technically in correction. It actually might be correction territory. I think a correction is defined as the stock market falling between 10 and 20% and in April it's down to 12%. So I think that's technically a correction. I think a bear market is when the stock market's down by 20% or more. Uh, but you're seeing a stock market correction in April, and that's being driven by um, tech stocks um, like Netflix and Amazon. Uh, both saw uh, big decreases in their stock prices, and that might be in part because consumers are cutting back in the face of you know, higher prices and wages not keeping up. Um, you, if you're a consumer who's being strapped because of inflation, well, getting rid of the Netflix membership is a is an easy way to free up some money to your monthly budget. And, you know, we saw um, in the recent Netflix um, earnings report that their subscriptions were 
substantially down by something like 200,000, I believe. Part of that was, well, Netflix pulled out of Russia, like lots of other companies did as a consequence of the war. So, you know, they were projected to get a lot of subscriptions in Russia that didn't materialize, but even subscriptions in, in the U.S. were down. Uh, like, I, like we're talking about, probably part of that is consumers trying to free up money of their budgets because prices for things like gasoline or groceries are going up. Probably the same with Amazon. And then Amazon earnings expecta- er, Amazon earnings were below expectations. And if you're trying to cut back as a consumer, ordering fewer things for Amazon is one of the things that, that you can do. So, yeah, I do think that um, retail therapy will be um, less of a thing. Um, if prices continue to rise. And and what does that do to inflation? It it exacerbates it, doesn't it? Um, I think it, I don't know if it has an effect on inflation since inflation is being, is being fueled by um, government spending that's being supported by the Federal Reserve, increasing the money supply. So I think the, the the reduction in consumer spending is going to show up in things like a reduction in GDP. Um, less consumer spending means fewer consumer goods that are produced. And in fact, we saw first quarter um, GDP fall uh, in 2022 unexpectedly. Um, the forecast was GDP was going to grow in the first quarter by about you know one to one and a half percent, but when the number came in turned out GDP shrank by about one and a half percent. Well, that's a disconcerting sign because, you know, the traditional definition of a recession is two consecutive quarters of declining GDP while we're halfway towards a recession by that definition. Uh, But that doesn't mean a recession is imminent because we've seen first quarter GDP decline before and then second quarter GDP had rebounded. You know, first quarter GDP could decline because of weather problems, it's winter and so forth. but it's possible that uh, if the second quarter GDP, GDP comes in as a decline, well, you know, that's a recession. And maybe the recession is in part caused by consumers just cutting back on purchases because prices are rising so rapidly. And consumer reduction of purchases has showed up and is showing up at the decline of the stock market. You know, stock market in April is down by uh, 12%. It's the worst start. Uh, the year for the stock market, it's something like a decade. Is there something that that individuals can do to to help curb some of the negative uh, things that that happen with the economy or or at the very least protect themselves from the impacts? With inflation, there's not a lot you could do, unfortunately. because suppose you have, say, $1,000 you want to protect from inflation. It's like, well, what do you do? If you deposit it in the savings deposit in the bank, well, the interest rate you earn on that savings deposit is going to be far less than the rate of inflation, so you're going to be losing purchasing power. If you buy stocks, well, you know, the stock market's down, like we're talking about, by 12% in April, so you, could be, you, you would lose possibly in that case. You could buy bonds, but whenever there's inflation, bond prices get hammered. So there's not a lot you could do. Well, you could try to buy gold. Well, you know, there's no guarantee that gold's a great hedge for inflation. You know, if you have bought gold 20 years ago, you would have lost money holding it for 20 years. Uh, really, the only thing you could do is, you know, maybe purchase goods and services right now, store them, 
before prices have a chance to rise even more rapidly. Um, there's lots of famous stories from hyperinflation in, in economic history. We're not in hyperinflation territory by any stretch right now, but it kind of illustrates the point in that if you go back to the Weimar Republic in Germany in the 1920s where there was a hyperinflation, um, when people would go out to dinner, you know, they would want the bill at the beginning of dinner, not the end, because if you waited until the end of dinner to get your bill, prices would have risen in the meantime and your bill would be even higher, which just shows that when there's inflation, <laughs> the only really protection you have is pay prices right away before they have a ch chance to rise even more rapidly. So, you know, maybe this is a good time to buy, you know, lots of canned goods, you know, stock them in the basement and, um, save on the grocery bill in the future. That's really the only way you can protect yourself from inflation. Well, Chris, we're going to have to uh, put a pause there till next month. What should be, we be watching uh, between now and then? Um, so watch the jobs report on Friday. First Friday of every month, um, the Bureau of Labor Statistics comes out with what they call the jobs report. How many new jobs are created in, in a particular month? Um, and what the unemployment rate is. It's going to be interesting to see what the jobs report numbers are because um, the private payroll numbers came in way below expectations, um, but those private payroll numbers um, don't always map closely to what the actual jobs numbers are. So take a look at that. And then about a week later, um, the April inflation numbers will come out. It'll be real interesting to see if inflation accelerated in April compared to March, um, if the number is higher than 8.5%, or if inflation is starting to moderate. So those are the two big pieces of economic data to watch for the next week or so. Jobs report first Friday, and then a week later, what inflation was for April. Well, Chris, thanks so much, and uh, I look forward to our chat again uh, next month at this same time. Uh, so do I, Tom. It's always great to talk to you, and the time always flies when we get to talking about the economy because there's so much to talk about. <laughs> All right. Take care. Hey, you too. That's uh, Chris Douglas, uh, economist from the University of Michigan, Flint. And uh, we're going to take a short break, and then we're going to come back and hear President Biden from last weekend's uh, White House press corps dinner. I've got... 90,000 pounds in my pajamas. I've got 40,000 French francs in my fridge. I've got lots of lovely lira now. The Deutsche Mark's getting dearer, and my dollar bills will buy the Brooklyn Bridge. There is nothing quite as wonderful as money. There is nothing quite as beautiful as cash. Some people say it's folly, but I'd rather have the lolly. With money, you can make a splash. He's the chief and he needs hailing. He is the chief, so everybody hail like crazy hail too. That's more or less. Hail to the chief. If you don't, I'll have to kill you. I am the chief, so you better watch your stuff.
Hi, this is Joe By from the Blue Hawaiians, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans, and soon they will be available to everyone. This vaccine means hope. It will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. I want to go back to work and I want to be able to move around. To visit with Michelle's mom, to hug her and see her on her birthday. You know what I'm really looking forward to is going to opening day in Texas Ranger Stadium with a full stadium. We've lost enough people and we've suffered enough damage. In order to get rid of this pandemic, it's important for our fellow citizens to get vaccinated. I'm getting vaccinated because we want this pandemic to end as soon as possible. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. So roll up your sleeve and do your part. This is our shot. Now it's up to you. Yo, speaking. Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again. So soon? It just expired last week. You don't even own a car! Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey! Mom and Dad, you're being scammed. It's a robocall. Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My robocall crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. If you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, File a complaint with my office online at mi.gov slash robocalls. And mom, dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you. Well, at least they call. No, I get it. You're busy. But you know Janine's daughter is a doctor. She calls every week. A doctor. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. It's 2022, and this year the Tom Sumner Program begins its 15th year. It would not be here without support through the years from individuals and organizations like these. Seth David Radwell. East Village Magazine. Flint Institute of Music. Hello, I'm Maestro Ricky DeMeg. Flint Community School. MTA Flint. Flint Comics and Entertainment. Hamity Complete Food Center. The Flint River Watershed Coalition. W.H. Weiscarver. The Genesee County Road Commission. Lone Museum Auto Fair. Thomas Appliance. The Genesee Health Plan, Flipflip Technology, Mark Community College, it's Pure Michigan. Friends on Facebook have also helped by contributing to the show's online fundraisers two or three times a year. If you would like to help the Tom Sumner program continue to thrive by becoming a sponsor, send an email of interest to Tom at TomSumnerProgram.com. Add your name to the list of supporters, past, present, and future. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner Program is provided by Swiftlet Technology, engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology.
Hey, this is First Ward City Councilman Eric Mays, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. I'm really excited to be here tonight with the only group of Americans with a lower approval rating than I have. That's hard to say after what we just saw. This is the first time the president attended this dinner in six years. It's understandable. We had a horrible plague, followed by two years of COVID. Just imagine if my predecessor came to this dinner this year. Now that would really have been a real coup if that occurred. A little tough, huh? But I'm honored to be here at such an event with so much history. It was already referenced. The very first president to attend the White House Correspondence Center was Calvin Coolidge in 1924. I'd just been elected to the United States Senate. I remember, I remember telling him, Cal, just be yourself. Get up there and speak from the heart. You're going to be great, kid. You're going to do it well. Of course, Jill is with me tonight. Jilly, how are you, kid? I think, I think she's doing an incredible job as first lady. The first lady to continue working full time as she does as a professor. She doesn't pay much attention to the polls, though she did say the other day, instead of introducing myself as Jill Biden's husband, maybe to introduce myself as her roommate. Uh, <laughs> I've attended this dinner many times, but this is my first time as president. The organizers had, uh, had it hard, uh, made it pretty hard for me tonight. Although the good news is, if all goes well, I have a real shot at replacing J James Corden. It was great having him over to the White House the other day, just as he announced he's leaving the show. Great performers going out on top after eight years in the job. Sounds just about right to me. <laughs> and it's tough to follow pros like James and Billy Eichner. Billy, where are you again? Where is he? Well, Billy, you're famous for interviewing. You're interviewing skills. Billy, you should know what you're doing, pal. You know it, you know it well. And you should, I think, you should hope meets the press. Maybe they start to watch it again. I've never had to open, never had to open, I've never had to open, and I'll never be, I'll never be invited to meet the press again. Anyway, never have to open before Trevor Noah. Trevor's great. When I was elected, he did a show and he called me America's new dad. Let me tell you something, pal. I'm flattered anybody would call me a new anything. You're my guy. And folks, it's been a tough few years for the country. There's one reason why it's great to be here again. Everyone at the White House is so excited. I told my grandkids and Pete Buttigieg they could stay up late and watch this show tonight. <laughs> tonight, we come here to answer a very important question in everybody's mind. Why in hell are we still doing this? <laughs> I know, there, I know there are questions about whether we should gather here tonight because of COVID. Well, we're here to show the country that we're getting through this pandemic. Plus, everyone had to prove they were fully vaccinated and boosted. So if you're at home watching this 
and you're wondering how to do that, just contact your favorite Fox News reporter. They're all here, vaccinated and boosted. All of them. Fox, Fox News, I'm, I'm really sorry your preferred candidate lost the last election. To make it up to you, I'm happy to give my chief of staff to you all so he can tell Sean Hannity what to say every day. In fact, Ron Klain is here at the CBS table, which hired Mick Mulvaney. Mick on CBS? I was stunned. I figured he'd end up on Mask Singer with Rudy. <laughs> amazing hire, guys. Really quite amazing. Look, I know this is a tough town. I came to office with an ambitious agenda, and I expected it to face stiff opposition in the Senate. I just hoped it would be from Republicans. <laughs> but I'm not worried about the midterms. I'm not worried about them. We may end up with more partisan gridlock, but I'm confident we can work it out during my remaining six years in the presidency. And folks, I'm not really here to roast the GOP. That's not my style. Besides, there's nothing I can say about the GOP that Kevin McCarthy hasn't already put on tape. <laughs> and, you know, at the, same, at the same time, a lot of people say the Republican Party is too extreme, too divisive, too controlled by one person. They say that's not your father's Republican Party. Ronald Reagan said, Mr. Gorbachev, tear this wall down. Today's Republicans say, tear down Mickey Mouse's house. And pretty soon they'll be storming Cinderella's castle, you can be sure of it. But Republicans <laughs> seem to support one fella, some guy named Brandon. He's having a really good year, and I'm kind of happy for him. Let me conclude with a serious word. We live in serious times. We're coming through a devastating pandemic, and we have to stay vigilant. I know Kamala wanted to be here, for example. Thankfully, she's doing well. You should all know she sends her best. We're in a time when what we so long take for granted is facing the gravest of threats, and I'm being deadly earnest. Overseas, overseas, the liberal world order that laid the foundation for global peace, stability, and prosperity since World War II is genuinely, seriously under assault. And at home, poison is running through our democracy. Of all, all this taking place with disinformation massively on the rise, where the truth is buried by lies and the lies live on as truth. What's clear, and I mean this from the bottom of my heart, that you, the free press, matter more than you ever did in the last century. Now, I really mean it. I've always believed that good journalism holds up a mirror to ourselves to reflect on the good, the bad, and the true. Tonight, I want to congratulate the awardees and the scholarship winners who carry on that sacred tradition. We've all seen the courage of the Ukrainian people because of the courage of American reporters in this room and your colleagues across the world who are on the ground taking their lives in their own hands. And although it's not Ukraine, it's Russia. Mom, I'd like to meet you and Dad to talk about your son. We just, we just saw a heartbreaking video. Nine have been killed, reporting from Kyiv. Struck by kamikaze drone strike after a shopping mall attack. Shot in the neck. 
while decouncing, while, while documenting Ukrainian fleeing. Killed when Russian missiles hit the television tower in a residential neighborhood. One journalist from Radio Liberty just killed days ago. So many of you telling the stories and taking the photos and recording the videos of what's happening there. The unvarnished truth shown, showing the destruction, the devastation, and yes, the war crimes. Tonight, we also honor the legacy of two historic reporters, and that is Alice Dunnigan and Ethel Payne. I'm glad you saw that tonight. I didn't know you were doing that. These are the first black women to be White House reporters who shattered convention to cover a segregated nation. We honor journalists killed, missing, imprisoned, detained, and tortured, covering war, exposing corruption, and holding leaders accountable. We honor members of the press, both national and local, covering a once-in-a-century pandemic where we lost a million Americans, a generation reckoning on race, an existential threat of climate change. The free press is not the enemy of the people. Far from it. At your best, you're guardians of the truth. President Kennedy once said, and I quote, without debate, without criticism, no administration, no country can succeed, and no republic can survive. The First Amendment grants a free press extraordinary protection, but with it comes, as many of you know, a very heavy obligation to seek the truth as best you can, not to inflame or entertain, but to illuminate and educate. I know it's tough, and I'm not being solicitous. The industry is changing significantly. There's incredible pressure on you all to deliver heat instead of shed light because the technology is changing so much. The system is changing, but it matters. No kidding. It matters. The truth matters. American democracy is not a reality show. It's not a reality show. It's reality itself. And the reality is that we are a great country. Our future is bright. It's not guaranteed because democracy is never guaranteed. It has to be earned. It has to be defended. It has to be protected. You've heard me say many times, there's not a damn thing this country can do when we stand united and do it together. And I know we can do anything we want to do. That's right. I've been around a long time, has been pointed out many times tonight. But I give you my word as a Biden, I've never been more optimistic about America than I am today. I really mean it. At times of enormous change, it presents enormous opportunities. For despite all the crises, all the partisanship, all the shouting and showmanship, I really know this and you know it too. We are a great nation because we're basically a good people. And here in America, good journalism, good satire about our leaders, about our society is quintessentially an American thing. It demonstrates the power of our example. And I honest to God believe it reveals our soul, the soul of our nation. And that's what I'd like to toast tonight. To the journalists and their families, to the people and the elected representatives, to the United States of America. By the way, Madeleine Albright was right. We are the indispensable nation. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to turn this over to Trevor now, strap myself into my seat. And Trevor, the really good news is now you get to roast the president of the United States. And unlike in Moscow, you won't go to jail. You pilots, get off of my lawn. We're trying to do a radio show down here. 
It's a Tom Sumner program, don't you know? Go on. Go on, get out of here. <laughs>